Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we are talking about Roy Disney, the unsung hero of the Walt Disney Company. Roy, you are getting sung about. We're gonna sing about you. Do you like this song? I hope you do. What was that? <laughs> you said he was an unsung hero. So you <laughs> thought you had to write like a song about him? Like how like people write songs about famous battles and stuff? You thought yeah. like let me let me write the song of Roy Disney. Is this Are like you know, is this like um, no, I, Miranda? I just realized you what, know what I need? When he does like Alexander Hamilton, you know, he's like he needs a musical. You know I, what need I need a Roy Disney musical. I want a Roy Disney shant- sea shanty. Okay, well you can work on that. I don't think I could handle that, but I think we need a full musical. I think he needs the full Hamilton treatment here. I I, wanna, I thought that's what I you want were a going. listener who is talented in so- songwriting to send us their Roy Disney sea shanty. Send them all to us. Yeah, send, you them, can, send them over to us on Instagram you can, at Enchanted Ears you Podcast. You can use you can use all the information or some of the information we include in this podcast or none of it. Yeah but would love to hear it. All right, but before we get into that, let's cover some news. Now, I'm not covering Disney news this week, covering Universal news, because a few weeks ago, Universal finally unveiled Epic Universe in Florida, which is going to be opening next year. And everybody knows they've been building it. Like, they they knew Epic Universe and Universal had announced Epic Universe, but now we've gotten some more, like, details, official names of the lands, and more concept art around it. Well, we've we've joked and talked about this before, though. Universal seems to have it right, because Disney announces stuff and then doesn't build it, yeah. and then it's disappointing, but Universal will just be like, what? Um, we're not we're not doing nothing, but you can clearly see that they yeah. are. Well, they did. So they did announce Epic Universe, but they didn't announce anything that was in it besides Super Nintendo World. So in addition to Super Nintendo World, we're getting the Ministry of Magic, so another Harry Potter-themed land, how to Train Your Dragon, Dark Universe, which that would be like the Universal Monsters, and then Celestial Park, which is going to be the middle. Um, Celestial Park will have a roller coaster, a carousel attraction, and a water play area. The carousel attraction looks awesome because it's like all... It's constellations of, Yeah, it's and constellations. And so the animals that you're riding on are animals, but they are also stars. Um, and so they're like very whimsical they're yeah. different than a lot of other carousels that you see and also it looks like they they're like it's open it doesn't have like a center piece yeah it's it's yeah it, yeah, it looks it's cool like a modified yeah it's a more modern like kind of carousel yeah it's, idea it's a cool idea i think you know they they showed some more concept art about the lands like the different portals they, they really do all have cool entry points how they're mm-hmm. like these portals it's almost like the spoke like in in walt disney world how like there's that center and then like, yeah the entered, celestial yeah. park's gonna be in the middle and everything's mm-hmm. gonna go off of that my kind of comment is and everybody's like very excited about this and you know had a couple of weeks to kind of like digest it and kind of think about it a little bit more. But my thought is, is there going to be enough to do in this park? And, you know, I feel like even recent parks like Hollywood Studios and, and, you know, Animal Kingdom, like when they open, I think a lot of people say, oh, they're half-day parks because it costs so much just to build the few attractions that they open with that it takes a while to kind of flesh it out. But, like, if you look at it, the Celestial Park, which is one of five lands, so there's, there's only five lands in this thing, it has one roller coaster, a carousel, uh, the water play area, and like a restaurant. And that's it. And it's the whole spine of the park. And so these other lands, now Super Nintendo World, I think is probably going to have the most stuff because you're getting a Mario Kart attraction, you're getting the Yoshi attraction, you're getting um, the Donkey Kong attraction. What's so, the Yoshi one again? The Yoshi one's basically like you're just like riding around on a Yoshi. It's like a like a 
Like a kid's ride? Yeah, it's like an Omnimover where you're just like on a Yoshi. So it's a, it's a cool view of the park. But so they'll have a couple attractions there. So like each of these lands, I think is going to have one or two attractions and a restaurant. And it's like, is that enough to sustain a park? So I, I'm interested to see the response to this once it opens of, is it, is it going to be, it looks great, but there's not a lot to do. I think one, it's going to be so crowded. The lines are going to be long. And so it's not going to be a half day park because you're going to be waiting in line for a long time. But if you look at the concept art, there is a ton of trees in between each of these lands. Like there's big gaps in between these lands, which leads me to believe they have huge expansion plots available. Zelda. Th- that they'll please put Zelda in. Yeah, Zelda. I mean, <laughs> Zelda may go into Islands of Adventure, but I think you know it's going to open, and I think it'll be somewhat. I mean, I don't want to call it bare bones because I mean you're going to get a lot, but like it seems like they have a lot of space to expand that. You know, over the next decade, I think as this thing kind of grows, it'll get bigger. Um, but that was kind of my thing. It's like, yeah, it's exciting, but is there really going to be enough to do to to go repeatedly and to have a full day experience there? I see your point there, and I think that you're right. It's going to be super crowded. Um, I mean, we went to the one in California. They're building... The, well, I just think, a Super Nintendo world. Right, I mean, right, right. I'm yeah. talking about the whole park. Like, like, right, like but the I'm dark, just saying... Yeah. I'm just saying that that, I think, is going to be your most popular park. Well, um, I think you have that. I think you have the Harry Potter, I think, will be popular. I mean, I think the Dark Universe, the Universal Monsters, I haven't heard much of like any even exciting attractions there. So it's almost like if I don't visit like that one... like if people don't go, I feel like people aren't going to go there. So now you're down to four. And again, the one the the main center of the park is just a roller coaster. So if you're if you're not like roller coasters, you're going to skip that. So yeah, I think Nintendo's going to be packed. How to Train Your Dragon looks yeah. pretty cool. I think that'll be crowded, and the Ministry of Magic. So, but it's like you're going to have everybody trying to go to three lands, and that's the thing. It's like how long is it going to take you to really get through three lands? Now, when it's crowded, it's going to take you a long time. But when it's not super crowded, once like once it down. wears off, yeah, how long is it going to take you? to go through three lands. When we were at Super Nintendo World, we, we kind of rope dropped it in Hollywood and within two hours, we had done everything there. Three hours maybe tops. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we got we got close to doing everything. Yeah, and so it's like, again, <laughs> you know, if, if you're only spending two hours in a land. If it hadn't been so crowded though, I would have wanted to spend more time there. It was a very yeah. enjoyable place, very immersive. They built it so big that um, you're totally encapsulated in it. So I'm really excited to see what they do in Universal Studios, Florida, um, because I think that they are making this one bigger. I think it's going to be their yeah. biggest one. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it's just a matter of if this is the problem that I have with uh, with theme parks in general is just that I love being in those places, but I don't love being surrounded by, yeah, by that many yeah. people. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see once this comes out. So it's exciting. I think everybody's waiting now for like what's Disney's response to this you know, are they going to announce changes at Walt Disney World, expansions, a fifth park? You know, they didn't announce anything at their recent earnings call a couple of weeks ago. You know, they, they still reiterated their desire to increase capital spending in the park. So we'll see. We have a D23 coming up. Maybe there'll be some big news there. But even if they announce something big, it's not going to be open. You know, Epic Universe is opening 2025. It's opening within a year here. Like Disney's not going to have a response to that within a year 
you know, it's going to take them some time to have like a true response to what Epic Universe does. And maybe they're looking at it. Maybe they're going to take a wait and see approach and wait till this thing opens and see if it really moves the needle. Because maybe people do go there and it goes, hey, I, I don't need to go. It's not as maybe exciting as I thought. It's maybe not drawing the crowds. And then Disney's like, hey, we don't need to spend any money. Right. Or, I mean, there is also a strategy, which I, I like, instead of both of them trying to open up big things at the same time to compete, couldn't it also be beneficial if they sort of just take turns? Like if Universal opens Epic Universe and then Disney waits a few years and then they open something big, Universal's going to get the like the residual cl- crowd. No, they over both want to win. They both want to win. Because <laughs> oh. the whole thing is like they're, they're trying to draw. They're trying to draw crowds from each other, you know. So I, it'll be interesting. I, yeah. I could I could see a scenario in which everybody wins. I mean, I think ultimately they do. I mean, more people yeah. down there, it's going to help. If people are down there for Epic Universe and it's too crowded, you're going to go to Disney. But like, they they want to draw the crowd. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Does does you know, Disney's wait and see approach work out, or is it something like Harry Potter? You know, whenever they open Hogsmeade, and you know, nobody thought twice about Universal Studios, and then all of a sudden it became like the go-to park, and Disney was caught completely flat-footed, and then all of a sudden they had to put all this stuff into into motion to kind of you know counterbalance it so it'll be interesting to 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 see what happens with this yeah it will be all right so let's get into our main topic here roy disney and i want to thank uh ben one of our listeners he messaged us on instagram yeah thanks and said hey would love to hear an episode about roy disney and i think that's a a great idea and what i really liked about it so we should give we should what i'm hearing is ben gets a byline on my song the song that you're asking other people to write. No, no, no. The song that I wrote oh, at the, the top of the wrote. episode. Okay. Ben, you can have you can have the rights to that song as well. Now I have to keep it in. <laughs> I could have cut it, but now you referenced it as a callback. So now I have to keep it in the episode. Yeah, well, it, it was straight fire. You're so you have to. Okay. Well, it, it's in there now. And Ben helped me write it. It's okay. Thank you, Ben. Um, <laughs> Ben's but, like, I'm stopping listening right now. I don't want credit for that. But, yeah. But Roy really is the unsung hero. And, and please don't yeah. sing again. But, he, oh. <laughs> but he, I missed an opportunity. But I, I think, you know, Walt, everybody knows Walt Disney. And the Walt Disney Company, I think, and Walt are like so intertwined that I don't know that a lot of people know about Roy. Unless you're like a really hardcore Disney fan, you don't know about Roy. Well, I mean, considering that my students didn't realize that Walt Disney is a real person, then yeah, I'm going to go with they're, they don't. They're very young. But what I'm saying, like most people, <laughs> most people know Walt Disney. He's yeah. very prominent, but there wouldn't be the Walt Disney company if it wasn't for Roy Disney. Yeah. And so I think it is nice to kind of shine a spotlight on his contributions and kind of talk about how he was influential in like Walt's life mm-hmm. and, and the company in general, because like he helped the company in a lot of ways and he complimented Walt very well. Um, in a lot of ways that, that really helped the company grow. So Roy O. Disney, because his son was Roy E. Disney. So there's a couple Roy Disneys here. But but Roy O. Disney was Walt's brother. I feel like we should just call him Roy O. There you go. Uh, he was born June 24th, 1893 in Chicago, mm-hmm. Illinois. So he's eight years older than Walt. And he served in the Navy during World War One from 1917 to 1919. He was discharged from the army due to tuberculosis. And this is why, what are you making that face for? Because I didn't realize at that point in time you recovered from tuberculosis. 
Yeah, when I think that... a lot of people covered recovered from tuberculosis. Like that, tuberculosis is one of those things where I feel like it was like you just went out in the wilderness and like got fresh air and that was like the cure for tuberculosis. I don't know. I just feel like every old timey like piece of Everybody literature had it. All the, the Oregon Trail, I don't, I, you died from typhoid fever and tuberculosis. Yeah, like, and I feel like it game. was like, I mean, like every woman that I could think of is just like, uh, oh no, I have tuberculosis. tuberculosis. Yeah. yeah. Well, he survived. But that is actually why he was in California. So um, Roy had tuberculosis, he recovered, but he was in California because again, I think like the drier, yeah, the atmosphere maybe. and everything, like it was better for him. And that's the reason why Walt came to California. And this is like one of like the little notes I love about like history and like you can do it in your own life too. If like, if you look back on your life and you just think like, okay, like where was I like five or 10 years ago and where am I at today? Like what are all like the weird little things that happened? I was in this spot at this moment and that's why X, Y, Z happened and now I'm here, yeah. you know, good or good or bad, you know, but yeah. like it's the, the, those are like the cool like things and moments in like history or in like people's lives that I like of like, if this one thing didn't happen, like if, yeah, so if Roy didn't have tuberculosis, exactly. Walt wouldn't have gone to California. P- potentially. I mean, he, he could have, he could have still yeah. potentially done it, but yeah, Walt had, uh, Roy had tuberculosis. He went to California. Walt Laughagram studios went bankrupt. He was kind of like, Oh no, this thing I was doing didn't work. And Roy was like, why don't you come out to California with me? And like, we can do something together. And he goes out there and they start the Disney Brothers studio. And it's like, yeah, if he wasn't out there, would they have done it? Maybe they would have started, but would they have had the same connections because they weren't kind of like in Hollywood, California? Just like, it's it's you know, the cool little things like that that like, I feel like this you like is to like, see how they play out. This is like a great premise f- for a show. And we could call it What If, maybe? Disney needs to do What If Everything. Like, there's rumors that they're working on a, oh, Star, Wars a Star Wars What yeah. If. Yeah gold yeah that would be 100%. amazing but they should do what if everything you've mm-hmm. talked about this what if mufasa didn't die like yeah. what if um you know like what if elsa didn't save anna like like you could you could take every disney movie and undo and do, anything and do yeah. a what if and be like where does it go i mean like how they did with like the olaf retells disney movies just make like little five or six minute shorts of like what if this didn't happen yeah, I think that, that would be really interesting. Although I feel like there's there's a a risk as far as like the animated Disney movies of undoing things. I feel like with Star Wars, it's just like an interesting and and Marvel, it's, it's an like a multiverse thing. But I feel like with they've established the multiverse in in Marvel that it there's works. There's something about taking your animated classics and undoing them that I feel like would feel a little disillusioning. So I, I, I don't see them doing that. I want to see the what if little mermaid where what if Ariel had a pen and paper and then it's a three minute movie. <laughs> what if, I can't talk. See which stole my voice. What if Ariel decided, you know what? I actually don't know that boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot you could do with that one. So, um, but growing up Roy and Walt shared a close bond. They actually shared a room together. So even though they're eight years apart, they grew up, they, sh- they shared a room together. Where they grew up in Marceline, their father, Elias, bought a paper route. So that was like his job, I guess, back in the day, like you like bought routes to then, you know, make money from. So like, you know, you probably paid some sort of like upfront fee. Um, but Roy and Walt like helped deliver papers and stuff. So mm. they, you know, they 
were very close growing up. They worked together growing up. So it kind of like set the stage for their future business endeavors. That's super interesting that there was enough money in that to to I mean, yeah i mean, I mean selling papers everybody had newspapers big yeah. business yeah but it's just so interesting to see how things have changed. that's how everybody got their news yeah i mean there was no tv there was no internet yeah there was no i mean internet there was no television you, I mean, you didn't have how was ra- you had radio. radio yeah i was gonna say when did radio become a huge thing though i think there was radio in the 1900s you know because again i mean roy well, yeah, roy was the, born in 1893 when did the war of the worlds thing happen I mean, that, I feel like that, that was, was later, but was okay. but I I think you know Walt's born in in 1901, Roy 1893. Like you had radio, but like again, there's no you know news programs, there's no internet, so like you had to get a newspaper. You know, like that was yeah. well, that was how you got everything. Like that was the way you kind of learned about what was going on. So that was the War of the Worlds thing was 1938. So yeah, that was okay. a lot yeah. later. Right. So yeah. So whether radio was real big or not but yeah like they worked together they worked on this newspaper route they also had like very complementary skills yeah so it's v- well, very it makes, well noted that was Walt, the Walt baby, was a dreamer he was the baby of the family Did you know, he have a younger brother no i'm not 100 percent sure i don't remember so i don't want to kind of like misquote things if, yeah, if yeah, he yeah. had another, a younger sibling or not because yeah, i feel like that explains a little bit because, I mean, he is, Roy was so much his senior and it tends to be, you know, and again, this isn't always the case, but the older sibling a lot of times tends to be like very together, very organized, very like rule following and rule abiding. Um, and then like the younger ones tend to be more dreamers, more um, like creative. I don't know. It's not necessarily, again, that's not a hard and fast rule, but it is an interesting thing because I notice that sometimes with kids, whenever I'm teaching them, like you can kind of tell their birth order sometimes based on what their personality yeah, based is based on like. what they have. Yeah. I mean, Walt was, I mean, as is well documented, was a creative visionary. I mean, that's, that's kind of what he did. So to your point, he was a dreamer. Whereas Roy was like a very practical businessman. He actually, um, I, I did not know this before kind of researching this. He actually had a job working as a bank clerk at the first national bank of Kansas city. So he kind of was in business, worked in banking, and I think that kind of experience helped him a lot, especially like understanding banking because he basically, at the Disney company, he was in charge of like all of the finances and basically funding all of Walt's dreams and everything Walt wanted to do. And so I think having that background as like a business person working at a bank really helped with that. He's the money man of the company. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that banking background would definitely be really useful and, and for Walt and what he needed it for. So, Yeah, and I, I f- don't know how many times specifically that Roy saved the company, <laughs> but I feel like if, if you've ever read Walt Disney's biography by Neil Gabler, I feel like it's almost like every other chapter. It's <laughs> like... Disney was almost out of money and Roy helped raise the funds yeah. for it. Or, you know, they got deals for their movies or, you know, he helped get the ABC investment for Disneyland and like all this sort of stuff. Or, you know, he had to, you know, Walt wanted to spend more and more and more on the movie and he had to figure out how to make it work. And then, you know, the movie made a ton of money. They all made it back. Like 
it, it feels like, especially those early years of the company, they were always strapped for cash. It was always tight, but Roy somehow made it work. Like, I, I don't feel like Walt really worried about it. Like, I feel like he was like, oh, Roy will take care of it, you know, to a certain extent. Like, we just need to keep yeah. doing what we need to do. But yeah, I, I feel like there's probably a half a dozen times that in those early oh. decades, the Walt Disney company could have went bankrupt and we would not have anything we have today if it wasn't for Roy finding the funding, finding ways to keep it afloat and, and yeah, being kind of that, the practical, you know, Walt was dreaming. Roy was like, how do I make this a reality? I need to be practical about it. We need this. We need that. Like we, what we, what do we need to do to make this work? Yeah. And I mean, yeah, Walt was very much like, if you can dream it, you can do it and make this happen. Like even whenever you see the Imagineers and like the Imagineering stories of the different um, rides, it seems like everybody he interacted with, he'd just be like, here's a project. Like you can make this happen. And then everyone was just like, he had, a, I think, a certain kind of charisma that people wanted yeah. to make it happen too. So um, it's just like an interesting, you know, sort of balance that the two of them were able to strike because... He had the personality, the charisma, the the drive, the creativity, but also a little bit of like the pie in the skyness. And then Roy grounded him um, and was able to sort of draw things back and cover for him and stuff like that. So it's 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 a really beautiful kind of relationship. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is it it was I think so well done and such a like a f- fruitful relationship that you know, it often is kind of said that like one of the other like great times in the Disney company, just in terms of like everything firing on all cylinders, expansion, like everything kind of going well was early in Michael Eisner's tenure when he brought on Frank Wells as kind of like his COO and people kind of likened that to Walt and Roy where like Eisner was like the creative Hollywood type kind of dreamer and then frank wells was very much like the operational like functional this is what we need to do to get it done to execute and those two balance themselves out very well and they're very complementary and you know that helped expand walt disney world and, and make it a vacation destination that sort of stuff and then when frank wells tragically died michael eisner kind of absorbed all those roles and didn't have that balance and then things kind of didn't go as well. You know, like it, it they, they started running into issues because they didn't have that balance. And it's kind of like it worked with Walt and Roy. It seemed to work with you know, Michael Eisner and Frank Wells. Maybe that's what Disney needs now. Maybe they need kind of like two strong people yeah. running the show where when you have just one person, it maybe doesn't work as well. You, you need that dreamer to kind of like tie into Walt, but you need somebody practical kind of like to tie back into Roy. So what, from a quick search, Walt was not the youngest child. He was the youngest son. Okay. So just, you know, from the one website I checked, you know, really great sources here, but seems like they had a bunch of kids. Yeah. And then what was also interesting was, you know, originally Roy had some ownership in the company, but Walt bought out most of Roy's shares in 1929, which is actually why Roy Disney is not listed as a co-producer on any of the films but walt still relied on roy so it wasn't like it was uh you know contentious thing of like oh i you know 
I don't want Roy in the business. I'm buying him out for whatever reason. Like it seemed very amicable because again, it was 1929 and they worked together, you know, until Walt's death. So it wasn't like he was trying to kick him out of the company, but I guess it was just this odd thing. And Roy may be looking out for his brother of like, okay, you want to own the company? That's, that's fine. You know? potentially or maybe it was like maybe it was like a financial stability thing where he walt was saying i'm willing to absorb the risk here and i don't want you to be on the hook so i mean i'm I'm interested to yeah i'd be interested to know like the reasoning behind that if any of the listeners know what that reasoning is it's in it's written down in one of the books you've read tell us because that's fascinating and this is another thing i didn't know um about it so when they co-founded the studio in 1923 Roy actually served as the first CEO. Like in my mind, I think I always just assumed that was Walt, that Walt Disney ran the Walt Disney company, but Walt was actually the president and Roy was the CEO. Hmm. So I, I did not know that yeah. um, until kind of researching this. But again, Roy oversaw all the financial, all the business decisions. Um, so I guess it makes sense. He was kind of CEO, but you just, you just always, again, Walt Disney, he runs Walt Disney. Like, you don't know, think of Roy Disney in any way like that. Yeah, I, I, I do feel like it It should just, it should have been like, I don't know, like just more gen- generic, like just Disney. Also, well, it, was, it was started as the Disney Brothers. It was Disney Brothers Studios yeah, how yeah. it started. And then it, it morphed into Walt Disney. Because again, I don't think Roy wanted the limelight. Yeah. Like, it, it was Walt's thing the other thing that blows my mind that that there are people on this earth that walk with the last name of disney because it is so synonymous now with the movies and the parks that oh yeah that it like is to disney. me like yeah. it would just be so weird if that was your last name because everyone would be like oh are you related to the disney's like it would just oh, yeah, be yeah yeah are there any disney's that aren't i mean i assume they're all related yeah i don't know disney's. it might be one of those th- i mean it could be one of those things where in a specific area like that last name has died out or because you just you don't hear it you know that there's like abigail disney but are there any others so i don't it's just an interesting thought like what would it be like if you that was your last name yeah and would you be more inclined to going into like creative jobs because that's your last name maybe <laughs> yeah I, I don't know i yeah i don't know do you do that or is it like too much pressure of trying to live up to that like i read an article one time about that like where if your name is a certain thing sometimes it make you makes you more prone to get a certain job like they sort of like posed about like usain bolt and how you know he was of course he's gonna run fast yeah Yeah, like a fast runner and then like um there were a couple other people that were like scientists and their last name was like weather or something or their last name was like rain a lot (laughs) so it's just a, it's an interesting thing to think about how your name can influence you. And then obviously a big piece of Disney history is Disneyland and kind of theme parks. So like we got past you know movies and obviously like Walt pushed the medium forward. We've talked a lot about with like synchronized sound and like Technicolor and, and all the stuff he was doing there. And obviously Roy helped make that happen, helped kind of fund all of his creative endeavors. Um, but then he wanted to do something bigger. He wanted to do a theme park. He wanted to do Disneyland. And Roy was like super instrumental in that. And Roy was a big part in like the television deal and like expanding Disney onto TV to get the funding from ABC for Disneyland. 
and like the creation of the Disneyland TV show to fund all of that and kind of leveraging, you know, Disney's success in movies and films and all that sort of stuff to kind of like get them on TV, get the funding for Disneyland. And the other thing he did, which I thought was like super smart and again, like a very like smart business move. So ABC invested $500,000 in Disneyland as part of Disneyland. Roy bought them out for seven and a half million dollars. So like a few years after the park opened, he bought them out for seven and a half million dollars. So that that way the company owned Disneyland fully. And then, you know, down the road. And now it's worth billions and billions of dollars. And then down the road, Disney buys ABC. Yeah. But like, could you imagine if ABC would have stayed invested in that? Because I'm sure for 500K, they owned a decent chunk of the park, like I'm assuming. Yeah. Because I think initially they were looking for like five million, so maybe you know ten percent of it. So to to be able to buy them out for seven and a half million dollars, and then just the way those parks screwed, because like it would have been so odd if like ABC kind of owned a park. Like it would have just been awkward. Now obviously they bought them out, so in the end of the day it wouldn't have mattered. But like that would have been a weird dynamic Although having ABC involved. It there. does kind of make you wonder because Disney oftentimes would look to companies to fund for rides sponsors, and though. stuff, sponsorships, not not ownership in yeah. the parks they would they would fund and sponsor the rides i mean i don't know i yeah i guess i'm looking at it as like an investor and just like saying okay like give me some more money but they wouldn't necessarily do that but i was just thinking it was like, like naming rights i mean like they would sell naming rights of things but it's not like you know it's not like gm like they sponsor like, test track it's not like they own part of epcot yeah you might have had like a mr ed's wild ride or something instead of <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah but again, not it's to like, say that that was on abc i'm sure it wasn't, yeah it's but. like abc was yeah getting a portion of the park so uh, it was smart that, that he bought him out and then the florida project walt disney world like that dream you know he was very instrumental in buying all of the property in florida and disney purchased all of the acreages in Florida for $5 million, <laughs> which is about $182 an acre, which is so cheap. Yeah. It is unbelievable. Like you can't buy land anywhere for $182 no, an acre. Cannot. And they bought 20 You can't buy land on acres. Jupiter for $182 an acre. I, yeah, you're right. I feel like you can't. <laughs> like it's insane. And they bought 20,000 plus acres for $5 million. Like, that's all they spent for the land at Disney World. Now, I get it. It was all swamp. I think people thought it was unusable, so that's why they sold it super cheap. Pe- <laughs> Dummies the buying pe- this the land. The people selling it yeah. are probably like, man, you're overpaying me at $182 an acre. But, like, you know, obviously, like, they did not come out and say Disney was buying it. You know, like, they nobody really knew who it was for. Otherwise, they might have charged them more. But even if you paid, I don't know, $500 an acre, I still feel like you're getting a good deal. But Roy was obviously like super instrumental in like that land purchase um, and even building Walt Disney World or, or Magic Kingdom rather at first. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that's just like the most touching to me is they just seemed so like close and complimentary to the fact that even when Walt Disney died prior to, you know, Disney World opening, um, well, Roy Magic Kingdom was, before they even like broke ground on it. Yeah, and like Roy, I think was he like he was gonna retire. He postponed his retirement to be able to finish his brother's project. And then there's that story of how on opening day he tried to give the speech and he broke down and he couldn't. And he 
grabbed like he they went he got mickey mouse and held mickey's hand when he gave the speech and he did that because he said that's the closest thing to walt that he could have i mean like that is such a beautiful story like really touching and just shows just you know how connected those two brothers were and like all into the point that disney world opened up on October 1st, 1971. And then he was finally able to be like, okay, I can finally retire. And he died like two months later on December 20th of the same year. So, I mean, he was, he finished that job and then like, and then just, I mean, I don't know exactly what it is that he died of. Well, yeah. And that, I mean, that was magic kingdom was Roy's park because it was to your point, it was Walt's dream to expand into Florida. You know, he was instrumental in buying the land, but Walt died in 1966 before they were able to kind of break ground they were just kind of brainstorming what it was roy was about to retire and you know he said yeah i I can't retire he stepped in and this is kind of like the first time he took like an active role in like the creative side of it you know he had never really he wasn't the one writing the scripts for the movies or like directing the animators he was always on the business side he wasn't you know running imagineering and he stepped into that role and said, like, I need to take over all of this now because Walt wanted this built and I need to make this happen. And he, and he, yeah, he postponed his own retirement and then he only lived a couple months after. Like, he gave everything he had to see this vision through. You have to kind of wonder if at this point, I mean, he was older, so, but if at this point... He was almost 80. Yeah, and if at this point he enjoyed the role reversal like was it a massive burden and he was like oh my gosh I don't know how Walt does it or was it maybe like you know like a relief like because I have to imagine when you're that age and you've been doing the same thing your entire life to get the opportunity to step into some new shoes and try something out it might be like really scary but I feel like that would be a part like I wonder to know, like I kind of wonder if he would say that that's like one of the more like gratifying experiences of his life is just to be able to do something different and to do it in honor of his brother. Yeah, and I think what speaks to just Roy as like a leader in the company too is the fact that he was able to just step into that role and that imagineering everybody like still followed him you know what i'm saying like you're following walt disney's footsteps and so like to your point walt was very much into imagining like you said he would just walk up to people and be like hey you want to try working on this you want to try doing that and like i'm sure roy had a very different kind of style and you know and it's it's different whenever you you know you worked with walt and somebody like that and you're not working with him like it it would be very easy for probably creative type to be like i don't want to listen to this guy like what does he know he's never done any of this but the fact that like they still all kind of respected him and he was able to kind of galvanize everybody around like we need to see this vision through it's for walt and 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 they followed him and he was able to see it through i think kind of speaks volumes to it because i mean you look after roy the disney company went through some ceos that did not, not so yeah did not do well because they were like you don't know the business you know I, I don't know that they had kind of the full support of you know the the imagineers kind of the people under them but because roy was there from the beginning and i think walt kind of saw him as an equal like the, like they worked so well together that i think everybody else in the company knew like hey we're still in good hands and 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 roy 
Roy can lead us to where we need to go. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, not – I don't know – t- I mean, I know what we have on this paper about Roy Disney, but I don't, you know, personally know a lot about Roy, but I feel like I can get a sense that he has that leadership type where people want to follow him because he's soft-spoken and he doesn't do it for the glory of it. He was – yeah, like what he was doing was he was doing it to get a job done and to see a vision through. And I feel like there had to be like a big pep talk, like, you know, Hey, like, like you were saying, like, Hey, this was all Walt's idea and I want to make sure it gets done. And like, he got, he won everyone over to his side. Like it it just, I mean, if you think about it, if magic kingdom doesn't get built or if Walt Disney doesn't die and he builds magic kingdom. So another version of what if I don't think people know who Roy Disney is. I mean, I, I I don't think as much as he did for the company, and like we said, he was the first CEO. He was a co-founder. He helped fund all the movies. He helped get funding for Disneyland. He took care of the business side of things. I don't know that you would really know his name. I think the fact that he is most known for building Magic Kingdom, he gave the opening dedication, there's a statue of him, like that is almost, I feel like his claim to fame to the larger Disney public. Now, again, I think maybe like yeah. hardcore people know, like I was gonna if say. you know every CEO and you know the full history of the Disney company, sure, you know who Roy is because you kind of know who everybody is. But like, I don't think a lot of people know who he is if he's not the one opening Magic Kingdom. I was, I mean, at the top of the episode, we said nobody knows who he is anyway. Yeah, but, but what I'm saying but, yeah. is, but like, I, I feel like, I feel like if you say Roy Disney, you people have maybe at least heard of yeah, him. People are gonna because of in Magic the Disney Kingdom, community, they're at least their ears Magic are gonna Kingdom, perk up. Right? If you if he didn't if he wasn't the one building Magic Kingdom, I think if you said Roy Disney, most people would be like, must be related to Walt Disney. Something you know, like that's that's kind of the thing. So it's again, it's one of those interesting things of like how all these little events lead to kind of where we are today. And then yeah, it's 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 a somewhat like bittersweet ending to his story where he succeeds in opening the park and fulfilling his brother's dream and then passes away two months later um, and isn't able to, you know, see Disney world grow into what it is today. You know, like it, it, it is, it is bittersweet kind of how, how that ends like that. But he did do some other really interesting stuff. So Roy and Walt together created California Institute of the Arts, or as it's known more popularly, Cal yeah, Arts. I didn't realize that they basically helped create that. So they guided the 1961 merger of the LA Conservatory of Music and Chouinard Art Institute. Yeah, which basically then led the way for Cal Arts. Like that didn't create Cal Arts right away, but that was kind of like the groundwork. But like Walt's basically vision was to try to expand like the art community in LA LA, and like him and Roy again, it's like an odd history. Like it was like a guided merger, but then there was still like, it was like a framework and it kind of continued on before it eventually became Cal arts. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting way that he did that too. Cause it basically, you know, when we talked to like Tom and Tony Bancroft, it kind of sounded like 
you know, CalArts is sort of a funnel to Disney. So he was creating, yeah. yeah, he's creating something that he could get some of the very best of talent from them to come and work for him. So you know, it was it was a very like intelligent thing to do. Yeah, he was building out that like infrastructure. Yeah. within LA, like to yeah, have that pipeline for animators, and then Roy's son, Roy E. Disney. So this is kind of like legacy. Uh, his family legacy was a part of not one but two Save Disney campaigns. Um, so the first one in 1989, which brought Michael Eisner on. And the second one in 2005, which got rid of Michael Eisner <laughs> and brought on Bob Iger. So, yeah, once Roy O. had passed away, Roy E. Disney kind of took on the role as, like, the Disney family representative kind of on the company to a certain extent. Like, he was on the board for a long time. You know, obviously uh, was a large shareholder being, like, part of the, the Disney company. And then, yeah, was involved in not one but two um, Save Disney campaigns. But some, Which, like, if you don't know about the Save Disney campaigns, like go look them up. We maybe we'll do some episodes on them in the future. Cause like they were wild. Like some of the stuff that was going on with these like whole save Disney campaigns. Yeah. So I do think like, it's kind of sad that there's no Disney family members really. There's Abigail Disney. I mean, yeah, she's kind of like the one out there, but she's more like outspoken against the company. Yeah. I was going to say, but like not like heavily involved. Right. Because I feel like that maybe is also, you know, talking about what's maybe missing in the company it might be that like this is a family business sense. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like you know that maybe it's getting a bit corporate. You know, like sometimes it getting. feels yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, but, but it feels it's very corporate. Well, it's very yeah. corporate, but it, sometimes it does feel like you know we don't remember necessarily the people at the heart of this every now and again when they make decisions. So. I feel like that would kind of help balance that out yeah, there's, a little. I mean, in, in Walt's biography, I mean, there is a story where like somebody told Walt, like, don't go public. Like the second you sell a share of your company public, like you've lost all control of your company. And, you know, I, I wonder if like Walt ever re- regretted it. I'm not sure because at the end of the day, he needed all that money. Like he yeah. needed the funds to kind of get to where he was. But I'm sure if he could have owned it himself and not had to bring in outside investors, he would have because I think obviously then you have more control over it, but you're right. I mean, the second you do that, then you're beholden to investors, wall street, like it, yeah, it, it becomes so corporate making yeah. money. And as opposed exactly. to necessarily churning out a, like the best product that you possibly can. Exactly. But at the end of the day, we wouldn't be where we are today without, if Roy. It wa- without Roy, you know, as and much Roy as o. Roy O Disney. Yes. <laughs> Roy E Disney too. I mean, yeah, we wouldn't I mean, be yeah, where yeah. We are today great, great as well without two save Disney campaigns. Um, you want to be there again, kind of the legacy of Roy O being a steward of the company. And again, Walt was a creative side, but Roy was just as important because I don't think Walt would have been able to achieve his creative endeavors the way he wanted to, if it wasn't for Roy kind of balancing out the practicality side of things and, and the reality of what does it mean to build an amusement park? Well, we need money for that. How are we going to get that money? You know, what, what do we want to do with these films? We need distribution. We need all that sort of stuff. So yeah, just, just phenomenal. And so hopefully, you know, shed a little bit of light. I mean, there's a lot more about Roy Disney. There's a lot of like biographies on him if you're interested in learning more, but that wraps up the show for this week. I want to thank everybody again for listening. If you've not done so, please leave us a rating or a review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It really helps. And we really appreciate it. Thanks for letting us your ears. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you here next Monday. Bye.